Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the word-giving, insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now, on to today's message. Hi. Uh, you've just joined us. Uh, we're in week two of a series called Twisted. We're looking at several of the most misused Bible verses that you'll find. Um, last week we looked at John 14, 13, and that was a blast. I had fun doing that. Hopefully it changed your prayer life. And today we're going to be looking in First uh, Timothy chapter 6. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn to First Timothy chapter 6. And um, as we turn there, I want to ask you a, a question. How many of you would say... That just a little bit more money would make things better. Let's be honest in here. Amen. Hands going up. Well, here's what we've done. Here's what we've done. Um, at today at Chesterfield, our Chesterfield campus, we put $100 bills under 40 seats. All right? And here at Richmond, we have put under 20 uh, of your, your pew areas, we have put $100 bills there. Because we know a little more money to make it better for you. So at this time, you can look and see if you're the lucky winner. Some people are looking. Others are like, no, no, no. You did the math. Yeah, you did the math, right? That's like $6,000. We don't have that money here at Thrive. <laughs> but I set you up with that. But it goes to show we, we, <laughs> we all had the idea just a little bit more would make things so much better. I want to talk to you today at our First Timothy 6 with the idea that you've probably heard that money is the root of, of all evil. Matter of fact, I was listening one day to XL102. Um, actually, I had a friend who was listening to it because, you know, your pastor never listened to the non-Christian station. I only listen to music with angels singing and hymns, right? Now, so I was listening to XL 102 one day, and uh, the, the DJ, Tamo, she said, well, we've heard these Christians say that money is the root of all evil. So I tweeted back in and said, not really. I said, actually, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And she tweeted back and said, well, that makes a lot more sense now. And so I want you to look at 1 Timothy 6.10, because you probably heard somebody say, we all know money is the root of all evil. Let's look at what Paul really said to Timothy when he wrote this. And we're going to look at the, all the context and everything, but let's focus on this verse here. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. One more time and help me. For the what? Love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now you're probably thinking, well good, this message is not for me. That's for some rich tycoon. That's for some drug dealer. That's for some celebrity. That is not for me because I don't love money. Well, here's today's big idea. The love of money produces greedy hearts instead of generous hearts. The love of money produces greedy hearts instead of generous hearts. So how do you know if you really do love money? How do you know? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible shows us Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Considered the wisest man ever by God. He said this. He said, whoever loves money never has enough. Someone say, ooh, you picked a great day to come to church. Amen. (laughs) Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. That's why I set you up with that question, that illustration. Because if we're honest in here, that's, I know that's me. I'm looking at 401ks. I'm looking at Roth RAs. I'm looking at our, our savings. I'm looking at what's in the bank. I'm always trying to figure and think and do. And you know, if we had this, we could do this, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's don't put halos on because um, we all struggle with this in here. And I do the same thing. The sad thing is, is that we all get to this point, but we usually didn't start there. 
when I first got married and started in ministry, um, we literally were on food stamps as youth pastors. Like, we made nothing at all. And I worked uh, a couple of other jobs, and we went to college. And so we had food stamps. And um, we also, have you ever heard of Angel Food Ministry? Anybody heard of Angel Food Ministry? I don't think they have it up here. But Angel Food Ministry, like, they show up in the back of a trailer, like, truck on Saturdays, and they hand out packages of food to people. And my wife and I went to Angel Food Ministry, and it wasn't to serve, it was to receive. Because, you know, we needed help. You know, and I always thought, I saw people, and I was like, man, if I made as much as that guy, I would be set for life. Right? If I made as much as him or her or them, I would be good. And the funny thing is, when you get to that point, what happens? You want more. You want more. You want more. You're like, well, no, actually, if I had this, you know, the kids come in, those, those, those mouths to feed, and you have the bills come in. And, they and so you think just a little bit more money would probably help me out in a big way. And we all fall, fall into that. So the question to ask is this, how much do you need to be happy? How much do you actually need to be happy? And what I want to do is look at 1 Timothy 6. We're going to look at the context around it. Remember last week I said, when you study the Bible, you've got to be able to do three things. Look at it in context. So you've got to look at not just a scripture, and the one scripture preachers, that's fine. But you need context. You need passage. You need what is the book talking about. And then we talked about interpreting scripture with scripture and then applying what we learned last week. So I want to do this. I want to look at context as we look at 1 Timothy 6. The first thing you got to realize is this, which is cool. Next month, shameless plug, um, we're going into a verse-by-verse series in 2 Timothy. So we're going to look verse by verse. We're going to go straight through a book of the Bible together each week. We'll break it down and you get to find a lot about Timothy. But here's a snapshot. In the first century, Timothy pastored the largest church in Asia Minor in the first century in Christianity. It was called the church at Ephesus. And it was a scary thing for him because he had never pastored before. And so as you read, Paul deals with fear and things like that. And Timothy, you know, you don't have the spirit of fear, blah, 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 and all those things. Uh, Timothy oftentimes got sick and things like that. And so he was also in a culture in Ephesus. And watch, it's so important. This is why the scripture matters to them. In Ephesus there, their whole economy was run off a false goddess. Artemis, or they call her Diana. So every job that anybody had, guess what it was about? You either, you know, uh, you made the Artemis statues, or the Artemis t-shirts, or the Artemis hats, or the Diana, you know, we love Diana flags, whatever you want to do. They, it was all built around that one goddess. So in that culture, I want you to imagine a Los Angeles type culture, right? Bling, bling. So you had, you know, like Philippi and Ephesus was like New York and Los Angeles. And so people there valued money. They valued being rich. They were all built around, you know, this false goddess. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, this young pastor in a large church, about how do you reject that culture and reflect Jesus in that culture. And so what we're going to do is look at what Paul says to Timothy. And let's, let's start with verse 6 in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So the purpose is godliness. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. The whole idea of this book is how do I live like Jesus in a culture that doesn't care about Jesus? How do I reflect the light and love of God in a culture that doesn't care? And the first thing he says is godliness with contentment is great gain. 
that godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, you can take, brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing out of this world. Um, have you ever seen a hearse hauling a U-Haul? No. no. Why? Because you can take nothing with you. There's actually an illustration, it was, it, was, it was quite funny, of this lady, her, her husband, is, it's a false story, but her husband got cancer, and so as he was preparing to, you know, to die, he said, I want my big box of money, thousands and thousands of dollars, he said, I want you to take it, Ethel, I want you to put it up on top of the roof there, he said, and when I die, he said in the attic, he said, he said I'm going to go up and grab that box and carry it to heaven with me. She said, okay, and so they did it after he died, they went up and looked, and guess what, the box was still sitting there, wasn't it? And she said, I told that old fool where he was going and he needed to go put it down in the basement. <laughs> he didn't need to put it in the attic. <laughs> For we brought nothing in and can take nothing out. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And well, here's what Paul's trying to teach us, and this is key. The richest people in the world are not those who have the most, it's those who need the least. The richest people in the world are not those who have the most. It's those who need the least. And contentment is so important. Do you know that contentment can make a poor man rich? And discontentment can make a rich man poor? Oh, yeah, we traveled uh, in May on a mission trip. And we're doing another one into Nicaragua that Pastor Mark's helping lead with the Angelilis and, and doing that. And many of you are going. Is that when I went to the, the Dominican, we went to a place called the Batays, which, which were the sugarcane fields. And these are where these children were born. This is, they, they, some of them have ne never left there. They lived there. And we went out to go minister to them, bring food to them, serve meals. Um, you know, one young man was actually had a scholarship to go to college. And he was traveling back and forth. And as I went there, it was... Was very touching because they literally had contentment. They were so happy with what they had. I mean, the, 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 the little boys, you know, literally would come grab my arm and wanted me to hold them and wanted my bracelets. They wanted the, the bracelets that we all just leave laying around. Like, you know, you do my, I, I do my thrive bracelet like that. Um, I leave them laying everywhere. Did I do that? Am I the only one? My wife gets so angry. It's like, will you please stop leaving around? So these guys wanted bracelets. They wanted my hat. They wanted every, I brought that hat for a mission trip. I didn't care about that hat. And that little boy is that's the most prized possession. He was so happy for that. And you got to realize that contentment can make a poor man rich, while discontentment can make a rich person poor. And Paul goes on to say this. He says, if we have food and clothing, this is verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. If we have food and clothing, we will be content. Really? What the what, Paul? I mean, you know, food and clothing and the newest iPhone and maybe some Jordans and we'll be okay, right? And with the iPhone, I'll tell you what, uh, if I, Lord, if I just get the app, like Netflix, I can at least just watch Netflix. I'll, I'll be good. I, I don't need regular TV. I don't even need the other. I just need, and maybe Instagram, and I'll be, I'll be happy, right? I will be very content then. And that's how we are in our culture, is that we're not content with the basic things because we're always taught a little more would make us happy. A little more would make us happy. And look what he says in verse 9. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now here's our verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's what he's saying. There are people who pursue money for the sake of money. They pursue riches for the sake of riches. And if that solved the problem, 
why are millionaires committing suicide? Because money doesn't do that. And we fall into in trouble when we start pursuing money and material wealth as a means to an end in our life too. Because how much more do you need? Just a little more. What you have will never be enough if you're pursuing money. I have seen people um, literally lose their marriages pursuing money. I have seen people lose their kids pursuing money. I have seen people lose friendships, stop following Jesus to serve and pursue money. Paul says it's those who pursue getting rich. My goal in life is to be rich. And that's your goal that creates attention for us. Because here's the thing, watch this. Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. That's tough, right? You can't serve. You, you know, in America, like, our false God in America is money. Because money will promise you what only God can do for you. Money promises security. If I just had some more, I'd be secure. Money promises significance. If I had enough, I could really look good driving up to job or driving up to the park. People would think more of me. Money um, promises you safety and it doesn't. And so when you get into trouble, here's what happens. You'll say, either I need God to come through or just a little bit more money. I need God to come through or somebody to slide me a check over here. I don't really need God. Now, I know you're saying you would never say that, but that's how we think, right? That either God can meet my needs or maybe some money can meet my needs. And when we get in that mindset, we make God, uh, the, the money actually our God and not the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are saying, man, this guy's preaching on money. I came to the wrong day at church. I want to help you give you a biblical perspective of it. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we are blessed, Right? Many of us have more than what we need. I'm not here to tell you to sell your possessions. We're not taking offerings up today, so don't grab your wallet. Um, but here's, here's what I am saying. Don't you look at Deuteronomy 8.18. And you can write this in your notes. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. What I don't want you to do, and this is what we all do, is we apologize for our blessings, don't we? We apologize for our material blessings. So, for instance, you probably, if you drive a nice car, you don't have to, like, hide your Mercedes keys or try to get out early so nobody sees it. If you're wearing a Rolex, don't slide it off in your back pocket. You know, you're like, I should have drove the jalopy today. Um, uh, we're not asking you to apologize for what you have. Because that's what happens. Somebody says, hey, man, I love your house. Oh, yeah, actually, well, I just got a great deal on it. Um, you know, I just want to, uh, no, you know, we apologize. I mean, I love your car. Well, you know, uh, it's not really that great of a car. And, uh, uh, but we don't do that in any other area of life, do we? Could you imagine somebody says, hey man, I really admire your marriage, Pastor Mark. And he's like, oh no, 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 it's terrible. Actually, it's really bad. Don't admire it. It's terrible. We apologize for those blessings. Or we see somebody older that's in great health. Man, you're 78 and you're in great health. I want to be like, oh no, actually I'm really sick and you want to be like me and I, it's not good. But we do that with the blessings that God's given. So here's, here's the thing. Money is not evil. It's the love of money. We don't apologize for our blessings. We maximize them for the kingdom of God. We don't apologize for what God's given us. We maximize it to serve God and to bless the kingdom and to further the kingdom. And that's the proper view that we have to have when we look at money. We don't apologize. Wealth is not sinful, but the wrong motive and perspective is. Now watch this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put, watch this, put their hope in wealth, 
which is so uncertain. And the church said, Amen. yeah, some of y'all got it. rest y'all don't think been through the recession yet. Um, but, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command those who are rich. Now you're sitting there thinking, well, pff, that ain't me. Good, good sermon preacher. I ain't rich. Let me give you perspective, dear Americans, in our westernized culture. 60% of people in the world today will not have electricity. If you own a car or you have one, you're driving a car, you're in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. So when we see rich, we think, I'm not rich. According to the world standards, we're all rich. We're all blessed in here. I mean, think about this. I mean, just think about it. You're going to leave church today, and when you leave, you're going to get in your top 10% car and somebody's top 10% car with them. You're going to drive to a restaurant of your choice, right? Because you're very picky, women, about where you eat at. You say you don't care, but then when it's time, you really do care. <laughs> I don't care. Well, I don't eat here. No, I don't eat there. And so you go to the restaurant, and, and you get a menu, and you get to choose what you want to eat. And you're like, I can't decide what to eat, right? Anybody do that? And, and then you're going to have you're going to choose it. The person's going to prepare it for you. They're going to bring it to you. You're going to eat it. They're going to go wash your dishes. You're going to get in your 10%, top 10% car, wealthiest person in the world. You're going to drive to your house. And most of us will drive our car into its very own house. It's called a garage. Right? And when you walk in, you're like, I don't have a garage. Well, check this. You walk in, you get to control your climate with the touch of a button. They don't do that overseas in third world countries. And then when you get through doing that, you're going to go to your bathroom and, and, and I've got, I, you say this is gross, but let me just tell you what, what are the, you go to your bathroom and you can use toilet paper and flush it. Overseas, you can't do that, baby. I had to bring uh, diaper, like the things I put my son's diapers in, bring a pack of those because you put all your toilet paper in there. You can't flush toilet paper. And when you go to the bidets, they don't have bathrooms. There's these little outhouses that, that some of you guys remember this back in the day and you use it in an outhouse. It's a hole in the ground. <laughs> but you're going to flush yours and then you're going to walk to your closet and women, you're going to touch all your clothes and all those shoes and you're going to say, I have nothing to where overseas, those kids have one pair of clothes to wear that they wash in water, not a washing machine. We're rich. And I think we miss the point sometimes that we are rich. Now, we're not going to apologize for it, but we're going to maximize it for the kingdom of God. Let me just say this. If you have a teenager and they're like, I'm depressed. And they have all these gadgets and gizmos and iPhones and pads and video games and everything. And, you know, everything they want. Send them to a third world country to serve kids who don't have anything. Because they don't know how good they have it. Parents are saying, amen. Teenagers are hating me right now. You better not send me to a third world country. <laughs> Send them over there to watch what those children have and what they have to deal with because we don't understand how blessed we really are. Now, again, we're not going to apologize for it and say, oh, no, actually, you know, we're actually going to maximize it. We're going to maximize it for the kingdom of God. So here's what we do. We tend to put our hope in wealth. We do. The economy kind of runs everything, right? Paul told them, he says, do not put your hope in wealth but in God. I want you to imagine something for me. Imagine you have a ladder right now. 
Okay? I, I did not get a physical one because I would break something in here. And um, I didn't, didn't Pastor Mark be all cleaning it up all week. But imagine you have a ladder. That ladder is called hope. Alright? It's called hope. In order to climb that ladder, you have to lean it on something, don't you? So what we usually do is we take this ladder called hope and we lean it against money. We lean it, we put our hope in riches, in wealth. We put our hope in the economy, in a job. And that's going to fail you. The pink slips are going to come. The economy will go through a recession. We literally, I mean, economists are saying, man, get ready. The cycle's coming. It's going to hit. Things are going to happen. If you put your hope in that, it's going to crash and the ladder's going to fall. But Paul says, put your hope in God. Lean your ladder against Jesus. Lean your ladder against him. You're saying, well, that makes sense. But, why? but think about it. Because you have two gods you're going to have to choose to serve. Money or the Lord. One or the other. Money or the Lord. And here's the thing. Money promises only what God can provide for us. If I just had a little more money, I'd be happy. If I had a little more you know, money, I'd be satisfied. If I had a little more money, I'd be secure. If I had a little more money, I'd be significant. Only God can do that for you. There's only security in Jesus, right? There's only um, significance in Jesus. And so money always promises only what God can provide. And so the love of money opens us up to worshiping actually a false God that cannot deliver what it promises, listen, money will never meet your deepest needs, but Jesus will. I've never seen anybody saying, man, if I had a little more money, my kids would really love God. If I had a little more money, my marriage would be amazing. If I had a little more money, you know what? I think I would really have a lot of joy. You watch, listen, money will not keep your kids off drugs. Matter of fact, some of the people who have the money had the hardest time with their kids in these really expensive private schools. You know, they're like, man, I, mean, I talk to them all the time. They're having a hard time. Money won't fix that. Jesus can only meet those needs. And so when you fall into the trap of the love of money, it's promising you and it's trying to replace the Lord in our life. We begin to worry about money and put our hope in money and lean our ladder against something that will never produce what it promises. So how do we do this? How do we crucify the love of money? Watch this. Paul answers this in 1 Timothy 16. You guys okay? I know some of you are like, man, he's talking on money. Just FYI, Jesus spoke more on money. He did heaven. So get mad at him when you, when you get up there. Like, roll, you know, you're really mad. Give him pickle juice face. Like, you talk about on money. Um, because he wants us to be free, right? Amen. So 1 Timothy 6, 18 says this. He says, Paul says, command them. Who's them? This will be us today because we're rich, right? Top 10%. We're rich. Command them to what? Do good and be rich in good deeds. He didn't say command them to not be rich, to not have it. Don't apologize for it. But do good and be rich in good deeds. Now watch this, and this is the kicker uh, that ties into the big idea. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. And this is key. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Be generous. 
Be willing to share why. Why does that matter? Because God says there's a life that is truly life that you only find with generosity. You only find with having open hands. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, I'm not greedy, what proof do you have that you're generous? If you're saying, I, I don't know, it, this is not me, preacher. This is not me. What proof do you have that you're actually generous? Because the only way to conquer greed, listen to me, church, is generosity. You know, people, we're not born great people and we get better and better, right? We're born sinners. Like, if you don't believe me, and you're like, well, I don't believe it. Okay, go find a two-year-old and give them a toy. And then let another two-year-old come and try to take it. What, do, you have to, do you have to teach your children disobedience? It's like, hey, let me, let me teach you how to disobey and be a terrible. No, you have to teach them obedience, right? And you're going to teach kids to do what? Share. Because inside of us, sharing, being generous, that's not part of our DNA. But in order to find the life that is life, it's being generous. When you let go of what's in your hand, God will let go of what's in his hand. And there's a principle in, in, in scriptures called tithing. And, and I know you, you may have the same reaction that I had to it. When I first got saved, I got angry. I heard a preacher preach on this. I was 20 years old, little skateboard punk rock guy sat on the front row. And this man was preaching on this. I was like, man, who's this, who's this joker thinks he is? Preaching on money. Preach, all preachers want money. Money, money, money. And that night, he taught on money that Sunday night. And I didn't go to church. I was like, I ain't going to listen to that junk. And then my skateboard friends came back. And they're like, yeah, he taught on tithing off the gross. I was like then off the gross. I was like, if he saw my income, he'd know it was gross. I ain't got to worry about it. And I was angry because like, man, all, all that preacher wants my money. Well, the truth of the matter is Chase wants your money. You know, God wants you to be blessed. But so that Monday I go into work and I, I drove a front end loader for my dad's company. And at lunchtime, I would go in at 1230 and listen to Dr. Tony Evans. And that Monday while I ate lunch, guess what he was teaching on? tithing for the next two weeks. So either I wasn't going to listen or I would have to listen and change. He told on fasting two weeks later and that was hard because I was trying to eat lunch. Why teach on fasting? You can't eat lunch. Like I just had to, oh, okay, I'm going to fast while you teach. Yes, yeah, so I sat there and just listened. But, but he told him that. And I, I'll tell you what I realized as I, and, and, and again, I don't know where you're at and this is my story, but I realized I was a greedy joker. I was greedy. And from that day forward, I made a decision that God, no matter what I made, I'm going to tithe off the gross because I'm going to be generous. I'm going to tell you something, guys. I'm going to tell you something. I've never been in need. I may have, had, may have been on food stamps. I may have had angel food. <laughs> but I've never been in need. And so even now when the church pays me, do you know that I never see 10% of it? Because I don't want to. Don't even give me the temptation. You're saying, why are you sharing this, man? This is because he, he, I want to take hold of a life that's really life. When you give to a church plan, or you give to missions, or you give to a Falcon's children's home of orphans, and you give to, man, it's, like nobody's ever said, man, I just, the Lord moved my heart, and I got, I'm so happy about this 2% raise. Spirit, I can just sense your presence on this two percent. No, no, no. But you will listen when God moves your heart to be generous. I remember when my wife and I were making nothing again in ministry before she had a job. And I thank God she's a PA now and it helps out tremendously. 
but we had a check come. Remember those checks that come in the mail you didn't, didn't expect? It's like, yes. I'll never forget that check came in. And I was like, man, this is awesome. I didn't expect this. This is a blessing from God. And I felt the Lord say, okay, now you need to turn around and bless somebody else with that because you never intended to have it. And man, we took that check and it was literally of my income, 20% of my income. And we sent it to a church planner in Colorado who was watering down milk to feed his children while planting a church. They cried when they got the check because they had been praying that God would send them something. You don't find life that is life when you're like, man, I'm so glad I got these brand new glasses that are $500. You take hold of life that is life when you're generous. And listen, the love of money produces greedy hearts. But the love of the kingdom produces a generous heart saying, God, whatever I can do. And it's not in how much something is. Do you understand that? I mean, there may be somebody today saying, man, I don't have anything. And somebody today saying, man, I got, I got bukus in the bank. I need to talk to you if you do. But when Jesus showed his disciples the truth about giving, he didn't point to the rich tycoon. He looked at the widow who threw her two mites in there. That's all she had. He said, that's what it's about. It's not about how much you have. It's not about how much you, you know, how rich you are. It's about being generous and doing good. The love of money opens us up to all kinds of roots of evil. Where we begin to serve money instead of serving God. We're not taking an offering today. We're not taking a special type of giving thing. I want you today to take hold of life that is life. And for you, I don't know where you're leaning your ladder against. Maybe you're leaning your ladder against money. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's a person. But God today brought you here on purpose to take that ladder called hope and you put it in God and saying, God, I'll release what's in my hand so you can release what's in your hand. And I will trust you every step of the way. For some people, like I said, I believe some people today need to get rid of a relationship that's holding you back. There are others in here today that it may be financially. You're saying, man, I've never trusted God in my finances. Maybe for you, it's trusting God with a job opportunity. I'm not sure where your, your ladder needs to, 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 to be, but it needs to be on God and come off something else. And so what I want to do is pray for you today. If you will pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you gave us your best. You gave us your son. We thank you, God, that you gave Jesus, your only son, to be beaten, to be bruised, to be beaten beyond recognition and hung on a cross. You gave us. You were generous to us, God. You weren't greedy and you didn't hold back. Today, Father, I pray for every person in here that you would help us all to lean our ladder of hope against you and not money. God, may we trust you with everything that we have. May we be open-handed to you and open-handed to your kingdom. For money's not evil, God, but the love of it is. We pray that you would crucify that love of it, our desire for more of it. Help me, God. Help us, Lord. We can't do this without your help. And so we humbly lay ourselves before you today here at Thrive Church. And we just pray, them, Lord God, the most simplest prayer we can pray, which says, help us to do this, to be generous, to do good. And may we, God, take hold of life. That is life. 
And as we're praying today, church, and heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you came to Thrive today wanting to give your life to Jesus, to take hold of life that is actually life, to have true life. Maybe you've run away from him. Maybe you know that today is your day for a new start. If that's you today, you say, Kevin, man, I want that to be me. What I'm going to ask you to do is something simple. The first steps between me, you, and God. I'm going to ask you when I count to three just to lift your hand and I'm going to lead you in a confession of faith, which is the, you know, we call the sinner's prayer. And if you want to give your life to Jesus today for the first time ever, or maybe you're declaring, I'm coming back, it's time for a fresh start, I'm leaning my ladder against God, it's time to make this decision. If that's you, in the count of three, one, two, three, lift that hand. Amen. I see the hand. Amen. 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 Right now where you're sitting, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And it's simple. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross and He rose again to wash away my sins. Today, I turn from my sins and I give my life to Jesus. Today, I take hold of life that is truly life. And it's in your good name that I pray.